0: Our scripture passage this morning comes from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, where we read the following. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer you gifts. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny, be it so. We do thank you, Lord, that we have in our hands your inspired word. Again, we read how our Savior draws to the heart of the matter in addressing our sinful nature. And this is more than just a suggestion, for it comes from you. This brief passage we just read a moment ago deals with those times when good relationships go bad. And our Lord starts off with one of the problems that all relationships sometimes face, namely anger. I pray, Lord, as Pastor Andrew shares with us what, to the power of the Holy Spirit, you have laid on his heart, we do listen. Drinking in the words of truth and absorb them like a sponge soaks up water, treasuring them in our heart. And when the opportunity arises, will you squeeze us, Lord? So we cannot do anything else but share the good news that we are a new creation. In the name of the one who made this possible, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Some of you have probably seen those commercials. And I have to confess, I'm not even sure which company they're for, uh, but mayhem causing all these problems in different places, moving trucks and exercise bikes and various things. Perhaps nothing has the ability to cause mayhem in our lives like anger does. I think you probably can give me at least a tacit amen" on that. Um, maybe it's a Presbyterian, amen. I don't know. One writer talks about her own experience with anger. She says, "Delphina is driving me crazy. She's somebody I work with but whom I can barely tolerate as a coworker. There are times when lying in bed she's all I can think about or when during midday therapy sessions I can't imagine discussing anything but how my brain is exploding because of some ridiculous new thing that she's done. I only find myself able to endure conversations with her because I'm simultaneously transcribing them via chat to a coworker or friend to maintain my sanity. Delfina just told me blank, is she serious? She talks so much. Followed 20 minutes later by she is still talking. I'm only emboldened by the fact that others more senior than I have bigger issues with her. She's recognizing her anger, she begins to turn a little bit reflective with it, and she says, you know, anger has this parasitic quality. The more I feed it, the larger it grows. I I ask myself as a Christian, both in jest and in seriousness, how can I continue to love God and my neighbor while this woman continues to cross my path? When the mere sight or sound of her voice makes me want to erupt in spontaneous screams like a faulty fire alarm. Perhaps you know somebody like this. Perhaps you're thinking of someone who triggers you in this way. The author goes on to say this. She says, I continue to be surprised by the smallness of sin. I'm rarely confronted with monumental moral choices, but rather tiny ones that have the potential to sneakily eat away at me like termites. There is something so particularly satisfying about talking bad about others, about deciding that it's other people who are the problem, or that hell truly is other people. But the satisfaction in reality only lasts a couple of minutes. So I don't know if it's Delfina at work or uh, D'Angelo at home or whoever uh, the particular person is that uh, incites anger in your heart, begins to make your blood boil. Perhaps your relationship with anger is even a little bit different. Perhaps you've been the object of anger. Uh, You uh, currently live in or grew up in a a home where anger was uh, the main course. Uh, It was part of everyday life, and you have felt the brunt of that anger. Anger, it's important to note, doesn't always look the same. Um, We may have uh, the image of the rage-filled monster who is uh, just paying out on everyone or everything. But there are some among us who we would count as serene or implacable. uh, But underneath, they are a seething, roiling mass of anger uh, that's eating them up from the inside or the outside. Jesus as he's working his way through this sermon and it's interesting just from a preaching standpoint you know if we ever want to think about what a sermon should look like Sermon on the Mount would be a good place to look and uh, Jesus here deals with some very personal things in very practical ways he gives illustrations he gives very specific applications of how this might look and one of the first things that he takes on after after setting up sort of the gateway that we've talked about in terms of the Beatitudes. And then, uh, like we saw last week, giving us an overall picture of his relationship to the law, or maybe we should say the law's relationship to him, as he fulfills it and he expands it. But he also gives us the hope for a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The very first application that he gives to us is anger, uh, and this is something that Jesus says is something that we need to deal with, and I would contend that it's, it's almost a universal human condition. I, I don't think I would have to spend a lot of time this morning convincing you that we live in an angry society, a- and the angrier you appear, On the radio shows, the television, the social media, the more clicks you're going to get, the bigger your audience is going to be. Uh, Anger sells. Anger captivates. Anger helps us get through our days in certain ways. So what is it that Jesus wants us to understand about anger? Uh, How is it that he uh, wants us to approach it in, in our own lives? And, and what is he giving us that will actually set us free uh, from the effects of anger, both now and for eternity? I want to start by walking through, and, and we just have to realize that there is a real body count. Uh, if you read my Friday letter um you know I I am a murderer uh according to the scriptures I I, I have murdered uh, my brother literally uh, at different times in my life uh, I I have murdered you know brothers and sisters in Christ you know my wife uh, my kids uh, it, it's it's part and parcel of, of my sinful story and how that has worked out in the world. But the Scriptures are, are pretty clear that anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. 1 John 3 verse 15 makes that very clear. And this is what Jesus is saying here as we come to verse 21. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. As we mentioned last week, Jesus is beginning this series of antithesis. You have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, he's giving a very narrow interpretation of the law that is prevalent in that day. Uh, And in that day, according to the scribes and Pharisees, murder was bad, which we can accept. Uh, But they are limiting or minimizing the Um, the broader effects of that command to the actual physical act of murder. Um, or the actual physical act of adultery or the physical act of breaking an oath in court where Jesus is wanting to maximize. He's wanting to spread out the interpretation and have us apply it not just to a mere formal, external, outward obedience or disobedience. Uh, those were the two things that we mentioned last week. The, the teachers of the law were interested in that formal, external, outward, the stuff that people could see, uh, and they were interested in, you know, minimizing the sin so that you could rightfully say, I've kept all the law. You know, I've never physically had an affair, I've never physically murdered somebody, Ah, therefore I am a law keeper, I am righteous. But Jesus is destroying that, and he wants us to look deeper. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus here is helping us to see that there's a variety of ways in which we uh, find ourselves guilty of this infraction, you shall not murder, you shall not kill. It's not necessarily a level here. Some have looked at this particular verse and said, well, you know, here's this level, here's that level, (coughs) here's this last level. Jesus isn't saying that, I don't believe. I think he's just giving us various examples, and they range. Uh, they range from something uh, as, as seemingly innocent as saying um, whoever is angry with his brother, whoever insults his brother, Uh, will be liable to the council. There he's using a word that that means like empty or nitwit. Uh, You are dismissing a person's intelligence. You're dismissing their opinion in a way that that doesn't engage them, doesn't take them seriously. It's somewhat derisory. Again, you could do this uh, with a word. Uh, You could, you know, call them a nitwit, a fool, empty-headed, whatever, that kind of thing. You could do it with an eye roll. Uh, You could do it with just a a closing off of your, your, your countenance. There are lots of different ways that we could display this anger. The last one that Jesus uses here, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus here is talking not so much about insulting somebody's intelligence or dismissing them in that way, but the character assassination, uh, the, the real ad hominem that goes after that person and their standing, particularly their standing before God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And, and you are essentially, at this point, putting yourself in the place of God, uh, exercising judgment on that person. And, and you know, throughout the scriptures, we're told to be very, very careful of this. And uh, there, you know, James three talks about the words that come out of our mouth, and how do we, uh, how do we use these words so violently against one who has been created in the image and the likeness of God? And, and what what Jesus wants us to see here, and we alluded to this last week, um, and this is consistent with Jesus's teaching. It's consistent with the rest of the New Testament that anger doesn't have its locus outside of us. Anger is something that comes from within us. It's it's the attitudes. It's the um, uh, it, it, it's it's deep, deep within us. Here's how one writer says it. Jesus traces murder to its dark layer in human hearts, hatred. The God who sees in secret is affronted not only by the fruit, but by the root, hatred. Hatred may not be accountable in a court of law, but it is to be have no place among the, the members of God's kingdom. Another writer goes on and just talking about these various, uh, 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 various manifestations of ma- anger says, if you are the sort of person who sneers at everybody and calls them names, the fire inside of you may eventually become all that's left. You know, as Jesus says here, you are in danger of the hell fire. Part of what Jesus wants us to see is that we bring it on ourselves. You know, that Gehenna, that, that fire that, that burns and we can't quench, it, it puts us in its prison and we become, uh, we become victims, we become enslaved to the very anger that we think is giving us a release. And <laughs> A couple of other observations here as we're just looking at the body count, variety of circumstances. You know, Jesus goes on to give two very specific applications. One of them is within church, within the family of God, I would say even closer family. There is the sense that we have issues uh, amongst ourselves. We have issues with those that we are closest to. The second example has to do with the marketplace. Uh, with a creditor, uh, a business associate, if you're going to if you're going and you realize that you owe this person something, settle with them, otherwise you're going to pay the last penny. Uh, anger not only has a variety of faces as it manifests itself, but every situation in life, uh, from the marketplace to the dinner table. There is always anger at play and needs to be evaluated. The other thing that this points out to us, both of these examples, um, Jesus says there's an urgency to dealing with it. You can't just let it alone. If you are bringing your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Similarly, he says... uh, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest the accuser hand you over to the judge. Uh, Jesus is saying, don't, you know, like Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, Take care of it quickly because otherwise, it will become this parasite, uh, this fire that burns inside and eats you up from the inside. So, the, in, in many respects, here, that's the broad contour of what Jesus is saying. Uh, and, and that is where we start to see that there's nobody innocent here. Uh, there, we are all guilty. We have all experienced anger. We've all inflicted uh, the murderous mayhem of anger. We, we are all guilty when it comes to this. But there is hope, and I want to keep us moving through understanding it a little bit more, because if we can understand it We can deal with it. We're dealing with this. uh, You know, our daughter Lydia has been in and out of the hospital over the last few years. She has some sort of metabolic condition that trips her into this rhabdomyolysis. That's a symptom right? The rhabdo is, is a symptom. We know how to treat that. We can deal with it. What we need is the root. Uh, we, we need to know what is causing this and what is, is triggering this. It's, it's only when we can get to the root that she's ever going to have any true relief. And, and that's the same thing with our anger. I mean, what we experience, the way that we hurt each other, in many ways, those things are the symptoms. Uh, of what is going on, the root is much deeper. So, a couple of observations here, point two, uh, this real body count betrays our bent love. Some of you will counter and say, but pastor, not all anger is bad. I mean, we we know that. We know that from the Scriptures. God in, in Exodus 34 is said to be slow to anger. Uh, Jesus uh, experienced anger uh, in different places, whether it's in Mark 3, whether it's in John 11, uh, whether it is in John 2 when he is overchanging the tables, the money change. So, there's a, there's a righteous anger. And in fact, even in Ephesians 4, which is another uh, sort of locus classicus with regards to anger, uh, it says, be angry and sin not. You know, so, there, there is a sense in which there is anger that is righteous. How do we begin to understand that? You know, one, several writers actually have pointed out that Jesus is never angry at things that happen to him. I found that kind of interesting. I, I don't know that I've ever really sat with that and thought about it. I'll have to keep thinking about it. Uh, Jesus is angry with the temple, with the money changers, that, you know, the the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles, these things are going to be, are being taken over. They're not allowed for prayer. Uh, it seems that there is an injustice that is being done. Jesus is angry at the injustice. Uh, Jesus is angry in Mark 3 when uh, the religious leaders uh, come against him for healing on the Sabbath day or proposing that he heal on the Sabbath day. So, again, denying help to somebody else who who needs it. Uh, When Jesus, who is the victim of the greatest injustice that ever was, Uh, is being nailed to the cross. He doesn't rail in anger, uh, but he conversely says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So yes, there is a righteous anger, uh, but I think it's also fair to say most of what we deal with in terms of our anger um, is a uh, destructive, it's unrighteous, because most of it has to do with us, with our wants, with our desires. This is what James says. We read that passage uh, earlier in the service, James chapter 4, particularly verse 2. Um, where he says, what causes quarrels, what causes fights, Uh, is it not this? Your passions uh, are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, anger is a dangerous emotion. It can easily consume us and in consuming us lead to our condemnation. Most anger, in other words, ends up being sinful. It's sinful not because the emotion itself is wrong, but because the thing that we want Is wrong, and we're angry with the wrong person or in the wrong way or for too long a time. Unlike divine wrath, which burns with a clean flame, human anger generates a toxic and a suffocating smoke. And I think if we're honest, we we have to confess that. You know, one of the things about anger that is true is that the angriest people often are blind to their own anger. Uh, They feel justified in the anger that they have, whether it's political or whether it's a relationship or whether it might be, you know, there is right and they're wrong and they are on the side of right. And, And therefore, there's a justification for feeling these strong emotions. But Jesus wants us to be honest with ourselves, and um, part of what James wants us to see is that the source of anger is misguided, misapplied, or just missed loves. You know, we, we're, we want, but we do not have, so we murder. We are angry. Uh, what are some of the things that we want? How does this work out? Let me just give you a couple real practical things that, that may help us understand this. I, I get irritated or angry with my kids uh, when the plan that I had for my afternoon or evening gets messed up. Can I get an Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Here you have, and and it could be your kids, it could be your spouse, it could be a co-worker, it could be a roommate. You know, you have this perfect plan for how the evening is going to go, but then this person's homework isn't done. Uh, this person hasn't cleaned up their room seemingly in half a decade. Uh, this person is uh, upset about this, and and all of the best laid plans of mice my, yeah, mice and men. Uh, <laughs> and all the best laid plans of mice and men suddenly have gone awry, and my irritation and my anger starts to boil. What does James tell us? You do not have. Uh you do not want your passions are at war within you, you want, you do not have, so you murder. What did I want? I, I wanted serenity. I wanted uh, I wanted my way. I wanted I wanted it to work out the way that I had envisioned it in my mind, and I didn't have it, so i I paid out on this guy who didn't have his homework done. Now. Should he have had his homework done? Probably. But my anger isn't because of the injustice of him not having his homework done. My anger is because it's, dis, it, it, it's messed up my schedule. You see, there, there is righteousness, and this is one of the things about anger. I mean, there, there's always these mixed motives. And we've got to carefully discern them. We we have to be honest as we work through them. You know, take some of the political uh, rhetoric that is going on as another example. I mean, there are all sorts of issues that are really, really important. I would never, ever minimize that. But the rhetoric is is over the top and, and, and out of this world. Why, why is it? Is it because we are so so convinced, so convicted about that particular issue? or are we afraid that our way of life, the things that we have become comfortable with, are uh, being threatened? that there is a, a, a possibility that the security that we enjoy will no longer be there. You see, what, what God wants us to see is that within our hearts, deep within our hearts, I mean, that we're talking the metabolic level. Uh, that is where we need to get down to. You know, the anger that comes out, that, that's a fruit. We have to get all the way down to the root in order to understand what is fueling us, what is driving us. Misguided loves, bent loves. You know, security is an okay thing if we find our security in God. If we rest in Him, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your country is not going to give you rest. God is going to give you rest. Uh, and, And so finding our rest in Him, that is what... Jesus is encouraging us to. Oftentimes, it's just unbelief. You know, not believing that you are the apple of His eye, that you are His deeply loved child, and not a hair can fall from your head without Him knowing you. When when we misapply the loves or we miss the loves that God gives us, we find ourselves down this path to anger. I want to give you just four. I got to move a little bit quickly here. Four A's to just practically think about, and, and this is going to take some work. You're not going to be able to do this. And incidentally, this, this is for adults, kids. Uh, kids, you guys are, are learning habits with regards to anger. You know, sometimes it might feel really good to be angry, well, it's not going to sustain you. It's only going to feel good for a little while, and then it's going to start eating you up inside. And so even as as young people, we want to learn how to begin to understand our anger, deal with it, all of those different things. So four A's. Uh, first of all, you have to admit, I've already said, angry people are often the last to know that they're angry. Uh, good people. You know, ad- admit that this is something that, uh, has a foothold in you, and that's the first step. Uh, you have to admit it. Secondly, you have to assess it. You know, what I was just talking about, take that as an opportunity. You know, if you want to talk about this more positively, you know, when you explode in anger, when you feel that burning point, that boiling point coming out, it is an opportunity that God is giving you to see deep down into your heart. It's like a crack, a fissure has happened, and you can peer in and you can say, okay, what's at the bottom of that? What, what is deep down inside? I, I see how it's coming out, but w- why am I so angry about this homework not being done? You know, I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect him or her if their homework is not done. There's something more that is there, and, and, and take the opportunity to to dive deep and assess the source uh, of your anger. Uh, Third thing, these all start with A, uh, apologize. Uh, That's the first step. This This is what Jesus has been talking about. Remember, the Beatitudes are the gateway to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the... Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin in particular. Blessed are those who are meek before God, before the world. This is the kind of attitude that will unseat anger in our lives. As we we enter into that humility of spirit, the broken and the contrite heart. God is saying, listen, I don't want your sacrifices. The broken and the contrite heart, that is the sacrifice that I desire. And then fourthly, uh, you can use either alter or attack the problem. Uh, and, And what I mean by that is, you know, the problem isn't that he doesn't have his homework done. The problem is that I have determined my happiness based on my schedule and and the adherence to my schedule. So, if I really want to dissolve my anger, I have to attack the problem. Some of that is just preaching the gospel to myself, saying, you know, I am loved. I am loved even if my schedule doesn't go the way that I had planned it. I am loved even if that person extorts money from me. I am loved even... So, we we preach the gospel to ourselves. We attack the problem. We don't attack the person. Uh, We walk through anger in this way. Just mentioning preaching the gospel really moves us to this third observation here. This real body count, anger, betrays our bent loves. And it calls for the true love. It it can only be answered by understanding and basking in uh, God's true love for us. I love that passage in James. Um, You read a little bit of it there at the beginning. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But now listen how James goes on. He says, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He gives more grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here's how uh, one writer talks about this jealousy. He says, you rarely want to be the target of jealousy because someone will get hurt. But there is a stream of jealousy that is rare and beautiful. It says, you are mine and I want you back. Its strategy for getting you back is not reckless rage, but a pursuing love that has your best interests at heart. This is God's jealous response to the angry person. Who would have thought that the angry person would be hotly pursued by the Holy One who invites him or her out of slavery and into his kingdom of peace? This is the good news for angry people and for those who have been victimized by angry people is God sees, and he knows, and he loves, and he hotly pursues. You know, notice what James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He has drawn near to us. As Jesus came from the halls of heaven and took on human flesh, as he went to the very cross that we will commemorate this morning in the table, Jesus drew near and he took on the righteous anger of God against sin. Here's the interesting thing. It's Jesus's willing embrace of the anger of God, righteous anger against sin, evil, all of that. It's His willing embrace of that that sets us free. You know, draw near to God, humble yourselves, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Jesus in John 12 says, uh, the Son of Man came to be lifted up. It's Jesus' willingness to draw near, to be lifted up on a cross, to uh, endure the anger of God that sets us free from the anger that threatens to consume us and the ability to love and to forgive others. Here's how one writer puts it. Jesus took the anger of his enemies within Israel, Israel's own enemies, the Romans, on himself, and he died under the load of that anger. From that point on, reconciliation is not simply an ideal that we might strive for, but rather it is an achievement, an accomplishment which we can now embody. One writer, he's a Lutheran, he puts it this way, the radical nature of divine imputation brings both a death and a resurrection. Uh, It begins to kindle the first beginnings, I love how he puts this, of actual hope and love where there had only been hypocrisy and despair. For the great commandment, thou shalt love, begins to become a reality. It begins to sound not just as a demand or a law, but as a promise. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he took the divine anger of God, you shall love. You will love one day, for you will know the unconditional love that I have for you. One day, The last barrier will fall, and you will be mine completely. You can bet your life on it. And that is what we profess every time we come to the table, that Jesus has felled the last barrier of anger, both the anger that we inflict, the anger that we endure, and we have hope. Not because we're going to somehow figure out how to conquer our anger, because we're not. We're constantly going to have to keep coming back, admitting and apologizing, assessing, you know, seeking to alter. That's going to be the rest of our life. But there's a righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that says, I have done it, and you are mine. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for... Uh, where it takes us. Dark places. Talk about unreached people groups, about the unreached places in our own hearts. Father, we pray that you would continue to lead us by your grace. Help us to re- understand that it is only by dying to ourselves that we will ever know the life that you have given to us. It's only by drawing near that we will experience the embrace that you have given to us through the cross, the resurrection. Father, I pray for all of us. I I know that some have been on this journey for a while. Lord, I pray for those this morning especially who are far away from you, especially when it comes to their anger. Lord, I pray that you would uh, reel them in, draw them closer, uh, may they find uh, rest in you. May there be a release from the prison bars from the, for those who are experiencing anger day by day. May they find a deep well of grace that can yearn jealously over the spirit that you have placed in this one in their life, this one who bears your image. Lord, those resources will never come from themselves alone but can only come from you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.